Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. What's up all my compelling storytellers out there? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab. If you have followed the show and followed my journey at all, you know that as a documentary filmmaker, I have worked with nonprofits my whole career. I mean, it makes sense. These are organizations that that impact the world and their communities in significant ways, and they have really powerful stories to tell. So ever since I started, even when I was doing free work 15 years ago, I found myself telling the stories of nonprofits. It's something that my heart still remains in and some of my biggest and best clients are still nonprofits, and it will probably always be that way so each season of the storytelling lab i like to continue to dive deeper into how we can help these organizations help the people who they serve today my guest is julia campbell from j campbell social marketing and this is what she does if i say that i have dedicated my life or my career to helping nonprofits. I don't know what to say about this woman because literally she has had this thing in her, this purpose-driven, this impact-driven thing in her since she was a kid. It took me a long time to realize that I wanted to help help the world be a better place, right? Uh, Julia is so inspiring and I've been following her. We connected just because she's a great storyteller who also serves nonprofits, but I've been following her for a while now and always wanted to have her on the show. And finally, we made it happen. And 
it's it's the I mean it's the perfect timing. Unfortunately, we're still dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, and what this has created is a lot of issues with nonprofits who are already possibly struggling in their communications, in their fundraising, in their operations, in their everything. In fact, I was just talking to a nonprofit client of mine who is now pivoting to doing a crowdfunding campaign for one of their upcoming programs because they could no longer afford the administrative cost to apply for grants, which is what they've normally done. They just don't have the team anymore because everybody is having to Everybody is having to buckle down and and tighten their belt, so to speak. And so they are pivoting and going to a more human-centric person, individual donor basis for the program that they have coming up. And this is something that I've noticed. And another nonprofit client of mine is is having to shift the the programs that they're creating to be more human-centric and really focusing more and more on the people that they serve. You have to double down on it. Well, I talked to Julia about this because... Now, more than ever, we have to understand how to use our social media and storytelling to connect to the people that we want to serve because we rely on those communities to keep us going and providing the programs for those communities. So while all these other institutions are also tightening their belts, funds are low. And so we have to go back to the source and be creative on how we continue to impact the people that we want to impact and continue to to raise the money so that we can continue to create those programs. It is a challenge But as Julia believes, and I believe as well, if we know how to communicate with people and keep consistent engagement and compelling content uh, driven towards them, it establishes a relationship for the long term, and that is what we seek to do. Julia has been doing this a long time, and we all have a ton to learn from her in terms of social media and storytelling, so I am going to let her give you the information you came here for. This is my conversation with Julia Campbell. I hope you love it. You know, we were just talking about speaking and I know that you're a speaker too. Um, For me, I'm like, I just started doing it like two years ago. So it wasn't full time by any means, but it was starting to get part time. Um, I'm fortunate because a lot of my friends and colleagues and peers are full-time speakers and really threw a wrench in, in to their system, right? Like they, they had to completely switch everything. So like, where, where did you fall in that? Like, is, is this something that completely threw you off or are you able to pivot? Well, 2020 was the year that I decided to focus on my online courses. <laughs> So I guess I got something right there. But for me, my business, what I had for my business plan for 2020 was one third speaking revenue Mm -hmm. from speaking, one third uh, revenue from consulting and one third revenue from online courses and webinars. Mm -hmm. So speaking, you know, I I never wanted to put all my eggs in the speaking basket also because I have, you know, two young kids and getting on planes all the time. It was getting exhausting. So I was finding that I was at the point in my career where I could be a little more selective and I could charge a little bit more, especially if I had to fly across the country. But of course, all the conferences, all the events either pivoted to virtual or were canceled or scheduled to 2021. So actually my next year is pretty full because a lot of things just said, you know what, we're not even going right. to deal with this year. This year's canceled. So we're going to pivot to 2021. But I found that, I mean, there's just nothing that takes the place of speaking 
on stage and You're that right. feeling and that connection that you get and people coming up to you afterwards and <laughs> talking to people at the informal events and connecting with them. So I'm very hopeful that we can go back to that, you know, maybe safely next year, but I have been, I have been doing quite a lot online virtually. So that's, it's, it's worked out. Yeah. You just, I, I kind of have the same model. Um, you know, maybe it's not a third, third and third, but yeah. So you could just kind of, push or pull that line a little bit. Right. So if you had the online courses and the webinars, you just kind of like bump that up a little bit. What, like when you do, what, what is the typical audience that you speak to? I usually speak to development professionals and marketing professionals. Okay. So in terms of like paid speaking and free speaking are very different. So, you know, your free speaking would be association of fundraising professionals where you could really get in front of several hundred people that mm. could be your potential students, potential clients. Um, but then I do speak at a lot of associations. So the New England Library Association. So it's usually a specific vertical that hires me to do um, a keynote or a presentation like the state policy network or the, you know, it, it's, it varies by association, mm -hmm. but normally my track is small to mid-sized, maybe even mid-sized to a little bit larger, but usually development and marketing professionals are in the, in the audience. Now I know you're that's deep, where I came from. You're deep into the nonprofit space. Is that like, is that all, all of the, the work that you do or most of it? Yes. No, that's it. That's so it. I only work with, you don't have to show me your 501c3 IRS letter, but I work with like emerging nonprofits, small mid-sized libraries mm -hmm. and some government, um, some government associations. Like I just did a social media audit for the city of Fitchburg, for example. So, oh. but the primary group that I focus on fundraisers and nonprofit communicators. Well, where did that start for you? That's just been my professional trajectory. So I worked in nonprofits throughout college doing internships. I um, volunteered for the U.S. Peace Corps. I was in Africa, in Senegal, West Africa for two and a half years doing healthcare work, which was interesting okay. because I was a liberal arts major, but that's where they send you. And I met a lot of NGOs there and charities and really became interested in the work. Then came home and had kind of a string of fundraising jobs, served on boards, pretty much did everything other than actually run an organization as an executive director and went off on my own about 10 years ago. Were they, did they continue to be in like the healthcare space or were they in a variety of? No, they're in a variety. My clients are everything from, like I said, libraries to land yeah. trusts, to food banks, to animal organizations, to rare disease organizations. So they really run the gamut of missions and causes. Where do you think that originated though? Like what, what, what kind of a kid were you? I was Leslie Nope as a child. Yes. Like that's my, <laughs> my soulmate. Um, and I was into checklists and I love it. I did the food drive. I, I mean, like you were like I was reading old, my old journals. I do not know why people were friends with me. I organized <laughs> a recycling drive at my elementary school in fifth grade, literally called the mayor and the city council and did a presentation and some got recycling because we had styrofoam trays and I was a huge environmentalist. I used to be a vegetarian and 
I'm not a vegetarian anymore, but I was very into environmental causes. And then we had, I did organize, this is something I'm proud of in my middle school, um, the very first, you know, gay rights activism day, um, when I was in eighth grade and then took that into high school because some of my, my friends were gay, but that was back in the nineties and people didn't really talk about it, especially when you were younger, mm-hmm. but just this notion of activism and social justice, really, I, I have just had, I've had it my whole life and I've always been really interested in helping, you know, helping people or really just learning about other people's experiences and yeah, that's it right using my, like there wasn't a word for what it was then, but the word now is of course privilege. So using mm. my privilege, which I didn't know it was then to amplify other voices and, you know, help other people reach their potential. So yeah. it's just been something I've always been passionate about you, you just, and women's issues as well, as you can tell by my wall behind me. Yeah. I love that. Was it something maybe your parents instilled in you or you just literally were born Leslie? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, they, it's not that they were anti any of these issues. Of course. They, but no, it wasn't wasn't, like they brought me to marches or anything like that, um, which I bring my kids to marches. I, I, I don't know. (laughs) I've just always, I've also always been really outspoken and an extrovert and I don't, get easily embarrassed. So I find that I have an easier time speaking up for people and I have an easier time calling people out on things mm-hmm. because I just don't really have that filter. So maybe that's part <laughs> that's of it. It's just as well. the Boston and you are just, a- that's the Boston in me. Yes, <laughs> definitely. All right. So, so then you started working in nonprofits and Peace Corps and things like that. At what point did it shift into like the fundraising marketing side of things? I know that you're in the storytelling space. That's why we're here talking today. But like, yes. at what point did it switch from like, okay, I'm just helping these nonprofits to like, oh, I'm actually able to help in this manner better than building a house for Habitat for Humanity. I'm, I'm able to help them send their messages. Yes. I studied journalism in college and okay. I'm a writer. I love writing. I love stories. I love communicating. And that is absolutely my strength, my essential skill. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that nonprofits, of course, they're social workers a lot of the time, or they're people that just have really big hearts, but they went to school for something else and they don't have the marketing communication skills and the communication, the um, communications training that I had, or even the inclination. A lot of people hate writing they yeah. don't want to be on camera. They don't want to take photos. They don't want to do anything for social media, write that newsletter. So that was where my kind of passion for doing those kinds of things came in. And I did feel like, I do still feel like I have an ability to help them take something that is really complicated or maybe esoteric or a little bit hard to understand. So the other great thing about having a journalism degree is that you get trained to spot a good story and spot a good hook and an angle. So when I was working, I'm thinking for a domestic violence shelter in Mm -hmm. Virginia and doing, I was development slash marketing director, which a lot of organizations combine the two roles if they don't have a big enough budget. And I would write press releases, but they would be so boring because the executive director would say, oh, we have to send out a press release about this. And I would say, well, this is, there's not a good hook or an angle to it. And that's when I started to realize the importance of 
gathering stories that can back up what you're saying, because that's what a reporter wants. If you mm -hmm. read any article in the newspaper, um, if you listen to the human interest stories on the radio, and I listen to a lot of NPR and a lot of podcasts, it always starts with a story to kind of put things in context. And then they talk about the data and then they go into the statistics and they go into the quotes and things like that. So that's how I really learned how to hone my craft was mm -hmm. figuring out, okay, I want people to pay attention to this nonprofit. I want people to read. I want people to listen. I want people to subscribe. I want people to donate. But the only way to do that is to have a story that's going to grab their attention and compel them to want to learn a little bit more and get involved. So it evolved from, I thought I was going to be a magazine journalist and travel the world and interview hundreds of people and write all these cover stories to I'm now going to help nonprofits tell their story in just as a compelling way as like a Vanity Fair or a Rolling Stone. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I like that you brought up the executive director because it's almost like any executive director that, that you deal with They're they're, they're going to come back and be like, well, no, we got to feature this. We got to mention this. We got to talk about this. And it's all like, that's all the boring stuff. I know it's important to you. Mm -hmm. And if it's important for the audience, we can get it in there. But like you said, it's got to be after yeah. that hook. And th this is a, a battle I find myself having to fight as well. It's like, no, 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 we got to yes. mention this service. We got to mention this program, this program, this program, like, you're just spouting yeah. off a list of programs. That's not, that's not. Yeah. That's just a recounting of things that happen. <laughs> My favorite nonprofit press release is the rebranding press release. So I've worked with a lot of organizations on rebranding. I'm not a graphic designer, but how to do a launch of a rebranding. Mm -hmm. And they always think they could, that it's so exciting that they got a re a rebrand. And I say, you know, just to you it might just be exciting. It is exciting. You spent a lot of money. Maybe you worked really hard on it, but to your average donor, your average supporter, people that don't really know much about you, there has to be the story of the why, like why now, why this, what's the story of the rebranding? What ended up happening? How, what did you learn? And what did why? you struggle with? What are your challenges? So I know that organizations, they really are, they're so passionate about what they do and they're so excited and they know so much. They have that curse of knowledge where they know so much, but it's hard for them to step back and see, you know, the forest for the trees, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I like to think that my superpower is helping them and helping them take that step back and helping them really figure out what is the most important piece of this message and mm -hmm. how can we make it more concise and more clear mm -hmm. and more compelling to the average you know person that's going to watch the video or or read the blog post oh, oh, uh, that reminds me of, i had a nonprofit client earlier this year and they had they were rebranding and they made a, a big to do about it they had a whole event like a live event back when we had those um, and of course the newsletters and, and all that, but, uh, at least they, they hired me to create, uh, to tell a story of, of one of their, um, star, uh, students. They were like, not an after school program, doesn't do them justice, but they're a program that helps people through middle school and high school go to college. Basically it's like a whole nine year process. And so we told the story of this, uh, young woman who they helped, who was just an all-star and a perfect success story. So at least, at least they packaged that in the rebrand. They use that story of who, exactly. you know, someone they've you know served and helped. 
uh, as the, the, the kind of like pillar of, of that rebrand communication they were putting out there. So yeah. And I think like, like anything else, I mean, it's a story of your vision for the future mm. because there was a reason that you have, you have a new logo, maybe you have a new name, you have yeah. a new website. There's a reason there. And that's what I'm trying to really drill into with nonprofit communications is the why and okay. how can you express it in a way to make people care. Now, this this is interesting because I think a lot of people may hear that and think like, well, the why behind why we, ch you know, changed our logo, like, is that important? Why is that important? Um, to me, like, I feel like, and let me know if you agree, I feel like that transparency and, and authenticity is kind of overused these days, but just that, to me, I talk about, pull, you know, opening up the curtains and letting people see behind the scenes a little bit to show them your why and your purpose. Like if you have a, a good reason why that, that rebrand was happening, what was your mission not becoming across clearly? Was there something new that happened in the organization mm -hmm. that made you want, you know, your logo want to reflect these changes? Like I get that. I love thinking about that. And I feel like some people may be reluctant to, to open up and tell this, the journey of creating their new logo, but isn't that a real opportunity to connect with your people? Not by saying like, Hey, donate to us necessarily, or here's a program we need funding for, but you know, continuing to build that connection between our communities, right? Even opening yes. that door and letting them in on that journey is, is effective. I would think. So the most popular brands, they do this by creating a shared identity with their customers. So if you think about, you know, some of the greatest examples is like Apple, you're, mm -hmm. you're an Apple user. And if you're right. an Apple user, you love Apple. I'm a Google pixel use, user. We have Google all over our house. Mm -hmm. I just happen to really like Google products. So it, who, where you shop, where you donate, who you pay attention to, the kind of information you're consuming, it's all part of your identity and your worldview, your values and your ethics. So if you're more transparent as a nonprofit, you're building that, you're helping your donors understand that they are part of this community with you rather than just simply pushing out information and telling them things. Hopefully you're bringing them along and helping them feel like they're part of a group. They're part of something bigger than themselves and they're not just an ATM machine or you know, they're not just like pulling out their checkbook every time they talk to you. They really are invested in the future of your organization and solving the problem. And however, whatever your solution is to the problem that you're solving, you really want people to miss you if you were gone. Mm, I love that line. That's good. Um, so if, if, if I'm a nonprofit organization or you know, someone working, usually the, the there's often one person that's every department. Um, and I want to open up and I want to tell those stories you mentioned something earlier where we talked about often those people are social workers and they're, you know, they, they don't want to put up with the work. They don't want to create a content uh, plan. They struggle to create these stories. They're not artists. They're not filmmakers. They're not writers. So what's a way that they can do these things that we're talking about? Well, what's a way to simplify that? What's a way that they can do that when they aren't a journalist, they aren't a filmmaker, like they still are tasked with it themselves. They can't necessarily outsource it. What's, yes. the, what's the easiest way to do these things that we're talking about, using stories to connect with our communities and build our communities, but that's like simple, like, like that anyone can do it. Yep. What advice would well, you give for somebody like that? First of all, I don't think that social media should be outsourced completely. So 
Facebook ads, Google ads, things that are very scientific and technical and hard to do, or video certainly could be outsourced, um, professional photography, that kind of thing. But the real meat and potatoes of what you should be posting on social media really should be from your perspective, the program officer's perspective, from people that are inside the organization every single day and eat, sleep, and breathe the cause. Hmm. So that's a question I get all the time. Do you, do you do social media for people? And I always say, well, no, <laughs> like I, I'll help you figure out what are the best things to post and how to get them. But I really believe that the most effective organizations are documenting what they're doing every day. Mm. So that's a famous Gary V quote. I'm not Gary V's biggest fan, um, but I do like his, that one quote that he had document don't create. We get so focused in content creation. We have to have a perfect content calendar. Every photo has to be perfect. Every video has to be perfect. Um, we have to have this perfect from, you know, A to Z soup mm. to nuts story. That's all tied up in a bow. So it's daunting. that's something that's carried along for nonprofits as long as I have worked in nonprofit organizations. But if you look at the way people communicate now, the influencers, the most popular influencers online get vulnerable. They get out of their comfort zone. They talk about their personal stories. They document what they're doing during the day. And I think for nonprofits, we have such an opportunity. You know, a lot of us have to deal with client confidentiality, and I understand that. But you as a development director, you as an executive director, you can be the face of the organization. You can give me an update every Friday that just says, here are the three things you need to know this week. Here's what's going on, especially in these crazy uncertain times that we're in right now. I think it's even more important to be out there and, and talking about what is going on in the trenches, on the ground in your organization. So thinking about it as just taking out your phone and doing a really quick post, taking a really quick photo, even if you're just working from home, maybe getting other people on your staff to show how they're working from home or show what they're doing right now. How are you opening up? Like, what are the precautions you're using? Mm -hmm. I know in um, Boston where I live, the museums are allowed to open up as of today. And several of the local museums around here, they've been doing Facebook lives to show you how they're reopening, like Very what cool. they're doing. It's, it's interesting. Great so idea. they're not creating this perfect content that's going right. to live forever. They're documenting. They're documenting. And I, I just, that's what social media is supposed to be for. It's like a law. It's like a big document of your life. You know, when you look at your Facebook memories, you think, oh my gosh, that was 10 <laughs> years ago. So, right. That's so true. So if you think about it like that, I think it's a little bit less, it is. Yeah, it's overwhelming. This is such a great point because people do that to themselves and they build this mountain in their mind of what they need to accomplish. I love what you said. Like it has to be a perfect story and it has to be, I, I do, I have clients like this, you know, that like yes. that blog post won't go out until it's perfect or that even that Instagram picture. I love that. This is such a great, a great tip. And, and the Facebook live with the museums is a great example of like, it's just documenting. It's just documenting and, and putting that out there. So we, you mentioned, mm -hmm you know, during this, this time, which we can't avoid. And I recorded podcasts months ago that, we, that we're mm -hmm. talking about this and we're still in it and we don't know when we'll be out of this, this time. And mm -hmm. as you and I said, before we started recording, things are going to be permanently changed with how we face the mm -hmm. world. One thing I've noticed with my nonprofit clients is like, 
well, for them and everyone else, it's, it's difficult. It's a struggle, right? Especially people who rely on donations when everyone else is either out of work, losing work, or not sure what's going to happen with their job and kind of holding things tight to the chest. Buying luxury items, donating to, to causes, often those are the things that kind of like go away when you're trying to, when you're focused on, hey, I got to feed my family, right? Mm -hmm. So that creates an issue for nonprofits, including the ones that I work with. They're like, okay, well, it's hard for us to do our programs or our content or anything when we're not sure how long our cash flow is, is going to last. So my question is, what are the creative ways that you have pivoted in terms of how you're helping uh, nonprofits and, and, and what are the creative ways that you uh, suggest or advise them to pivot during this time that we don't know when we'll come back from? Like, how are we able to, to sustain and maybe even thrive if we're lucky, but, but how are we going to navigate this time as a nonprofit when we don't know when the, the, you know, when the light at the end of the tunnel is going, going to appear? Right. I mean, there, there's really no doubt that people are struggling right now. Um, United States across the world, small businesses are struggling, nonprofits, individuals are, are really, you know, faced with the fact that we thought this might be over in a few months and it's not, and we don't know when our unemployment check is going to run out, or um, we don't even know if we'll have a job, you know, to wake up to in the next week. But the interesting thing is that giving is actually up right now, or at least it was a few weeks ago. So Stephen Screen, who you might know of the Better Fundraising Co., the Better Fundraising Company, he put out a study and he's been doing a lot of uh, serving donors and serving nonprofits as to what's going on with their fundraising right now. Mm -hmm. And he found that while the majority of nonprofits are not fundraising, the ones that are, are actually really bringing in a lot of money. So mm -hmm. what I think is happening is that when we are faced with a crisis, people still remain generous and committed to the causes they care about. They might not be able to give as much. They might not be able to give to as many causes. And certainly there are some people that aren't able to give at all, but the ones that are older people, especially if they are living, you know, on retirement and they're not, they don't have to leave the house and they're pretty yeah. secure. So I, what I wouldn't want nonprofits to do is I don't want them to bury their heads in the sand and say, we're just going to emerge from this when the dust settles because it's not going to settle. And even if it settles, it will be in a completely different way than it was when it got kicked up yeah. and give your donors a chance. If you don't need to fundraise right now, then don't do it. I wouldn't do anything if you don't need to do it. But if you desperately do need the funds to survive. I have gotten those appeals from the food banks that say, we need this much money just to ride out the next couple of months. Here's our plan. Here's exactly what we're going to do. You've been a loyal donor to us for years. We'd love to have your help. I think being honest and open about your needs and understanding that just if, just because you're not a COVID-19 emergency fund, like maybe right. you're not on the front lines, you know, your mission doesn't take a pause because we're in a global pandemic. Breast cancer doesn't end. Right. Colorectal cancer doesn't end. Animal abuse doesn't end. Domestic violence doesn't end. None of this takes a pause because we're in a pandemic. And a lot of times people want to have agency and they want to feel like they're in control and they want to feel like they're helping people that are worse off than they are, or they still want to contribute to causes that they 
really care passionately about because it helps them feel better. It helps them gain that sense of normalcy that we're all craving right now. So I wouldn't, I would caution people against this pushback that I know a lot of people are getting from their boards and their executive director where they say, well, we don't want to fundraise right now. Well, if not now, when? I mean, we're going to be entering, we're going to be entering a recession if we're not already in it. Things are going to probably get a lot worse on the giving front once the dust does settle a little bit more. So if there's that opportunity to make that connection with your donors or even just inform them as to what you're doing, if you're not comfortable asking for money right now, just send out that newsletter. Let them know what you're doing. Let them know what's going on and let them know there are opportunities opportunities to help if they can help and if they're willing and able to help. So I just don't want people to make assumptions for their audience and for their donors right now when there are a lot of people that do want to give back and do want to help. You know, this, this makes me think of what, you know, what you said and what we talked about earlier is it's, if you build this community that you let them be a part of, it's a lot different than, than like you said, you're not treating them as an ATM machine, which nobody has, well, not nobody, but most of us don't have expendable cash right now that we're just ready mm-hmm. to, to, to send out. But this, this concept that we keep coming back to about if you let them in to your journey, right. And, and let them be a part of this, this community that, that you are all together focused on, on, a, on the same mission. That's a little mm-hmm. bit different. Like, now when you're struggling, like people are more motivated to help because they're helping themselves that the community they're a part of. That's a lot, that's a lot different. So we keep coming back to the same, same themes, mm-hmm. which I like. And you know, and I know that stories is, is one of the best way, if not the best way to, uh, to create that community and those connections, right? We belong to the same, to the same group. We're fighting for the same cause. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I know you that, have, well, there's a lot of information out there as well. So what I've been seeing, I've been seeing nonprofits really be very strategic and thoughtful with their communications. So it's not business as usual. It's not, okay, we have to stick to a content calendar. We have to get an Instagram post out every week. It's much more, let's be, let's only give the highest quality, most useful content right now. And we'll be concise. We'll be clear. We'll lead with compassion. We understand that people are exhausted and tired and confused, and we're just not going to overwhelm them right now. But we are, we also aren't going to just fade into the background. Um, We're still going to be communicating, but we're going to do it on a much, maybe more focused and more um, like a a much higher quality level. Maybe this is one of those things, those serendipitous things that will come out of this is that you know, you yes. don't have to feel like just because it's Tuesday, I have to put out a post. But when you have oh something gosh. worthy of saying, yes. you make a quality post. <laughs> well, Stephen Screen, I thought I think it was him. He wrote in his blog post. Um, you know, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but he wrote oh, they've cut it. out all the bullshit. <laughs> Nonprofits have cut they've cut it all out because there's yeah. no time, Nobody and there's no staff, me. and they're too busy, and donors are too busy, and now it's all just hopefully going to get back to the roots of what you do and just strip everything else away, all the jargon, all the, you know, the 30 page email newsletter, just all getting stripped down. Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with that have that mentality of like, well, we got to get a, we got to get a YouTube video out on Tuesday. It's like, do you like, why? Like who's making you like, not just for a YouTube video on Tuesday's sake, like, what's the message? Yeah. What's the purpose? So I, I, I do think that that's, uh, that's uh, something that we're seeing and effect that we're seeing. Now, you, we had talked mm-hmm. in the beginning uh, about you kind of shifting your 
business mm-hmm. model to more webinars and, and online courses. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you have available for people if they did want to learn more, especially now that they're having to focus on putting out quality content, c- continuing to keep those connections with their community? Like what are some of the, the products and services that you have available for nonprofits? Sure. So I do a mix of, you know, free kind of higher level webinars and then really in-depth step-by-step how-to webinars. So if you go to my website, it's jcsocialmarketing.com. There's a tab online courses and I run 90 minute webinars usually focused on a specific platform. So I do those every month. Those are one-offs like Instagram for beginners or Facebook fundraising. Um, I'm developing one on YouTube fundraising and you'll see the full list of them on the website. And the webinars are on your site or do you, you, yeah, the link to the webinar. No, they are with charity, how to.com. I partner with charity, how to cool. And then for my, my own self, I do these six week live courses. I do one on storytelling that just finished and I do one on social media. I call it a social media Academy. Okay. Um, it's like a yeah. full scale online training program for nonprofit. These are both targeted to nonprofits and I'm going to run that again in the fall, the social media Academy. So I'm looking, this was my pilot year for both of the courses they went extremely well. I launched, awesome. I launched one in February and the middle of the course was March 17th, that week when everything yeah, week. kind of went <laughs> to hell. And I'm really glad when oh, I launched storytelling course in, in um, May. So Amazing. in, in the middle of the pandemic, I said, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. But the thing is, I love giving them live because so much is changing now. I don't, I don't like to record something and then put it out there and sell it because so much is like, can I can't even imagine Rapidly. if I recorded that social yeah. media course and sold it and then coronavirus happened. I mean, Dude. that would be, nobody would have gotten anything out of it. So yeah, I, I like being point. able to pivot as I go. And uh, clearly that course changed a lot. Well, and a lot of the time we were just on Facebook lives crying and having like therapy sessions and that's, that's what we were. That's, that's a lot of that's what we did. I think it, it was wonderful. Well, it's like a great time for, for that sort of, uh, uh, learning too, for online courses. I mean, people that are stuck at home more often they, yes. than they, they are used to, you know, it's a good, and then all these nonprofits that uh, relied on in-person events. And I, I understand why, you know, relied on your golf fundraiser, relied on your gala, right. relied on your races. What do they do? Um, a ton of organizations and through no fault of their own have had to completely change their, their fundraising model, their marketing models. So I've really great sympathy, but that's definitely been a question I've gotten a lot. How do we go to a virtual event? How do we turn this event to a virtual event? Don't you have something for live streaming as well? Like a course Um, I saw, or was that just a, I'm no, I'm going to be creating it as I have a blog post and okay. some eBooks, but I'm going to be creating a live element of the social media course is going to be on live streaming. Oh, that's awesome. I, I have a, one of my clients who I've worked with for 10 years doing video production, they pivoted to that and yep. actually host a talk show, like a Facebook live talk show with them. Nice. They're a healthcare foundation. And so we just have doctors on. We, sometimes we yep. talk about the disease. Sometimes we talk about other things, but it's, 
people love it. People all over the world tune in and, and it's, it's just a conversation. It's just documenting that interview basically. Yep. It's not, yep. you know, it's, it's very, I love that. Um, you know, Susan G. Komen, Florida, um, my good friend, Josh Hirsch, um, who now actually is the director of social media marketing for, for Susan G. Komen national. He just started that's awesome. today, actually, now they think about it, but he helped them create all of this content because they had to cancel their race. Um, they mm-hmm. had to cancel a lot of their mother's day appeals that they were doing. Um, they have a huge race in October, which is breast cancer awareness month. So he really helped them jump more into live streaming and do the kind of thing that you said they did, you know, wellness tips, they did yoga, they did a meditation, they did healthy cooking. So it's still on brand for them, but it was also, it was very, it was useful and timely and, and relevant and really didn't cost anything. They purchased, you know, a few microphones and um, some ring lights, but that was it. So Absolutely. it didn't really cost much and their yeah. audience loved it. Of course they did. I mean, that's like perfect content from them and it's unique. And it's like, these are one of those things that we also keep coming back to that. Like maybe that's this kind of stuff you should have been offering at least partially anyway, yeah. like a yeah. cooking class, like for a breast. I, I think, and I know it's interesting. I know quite a few development directors that really wanted to do more live streaming or more virtual fundraising that had gotten pushback from their board and executive director that then called them and said, okay, all those ideas you had, let's do them. Let's figure out, let's figure out how we can do them now. Right. right, So if there's any silver lining and I, I really hate to use the word silver lining when, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have died. Right. But I think that nonprofits are going to be forced to be even more resourceful because Mm -hmm. we thought we were pushed to our literal limit with being resilient and resourceful they're going to have to be even more and do even more innovation, figure out more creative ways to get their message out there and to connect with their constituents digitally. Mm -hmm. And I, I see it as an opportunity. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to stop for today. I appreciate your time, but I, I like the concept of, of seeing things as an opportunity because like you said, the mission doesn't stop. The cause doesn't, doesn't end. Um, so we got to find a way to push through and prevail, but thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited to, that we finally got to Thanks, connect Rain. this way. And, uh, I love your energy and your passion and your mission and what you, what you're about and what you stand for. So I hope well, that, hopefully uh, we'll meet in person. Yeah. We'll still, one be, of these still connect on Twitter. <laughs> you know, we, we had a shot before, um, yep. before everything went down, you know, now that, mm-hmm. that we're both out there speaking and stuff, it'll happen. It'll definitely happen. It'll happen. Um, one more time, what was your website for those courses for those that were interested? I'll put it in the show. Uh, JCSocialMarketing.com and just look at the online courses tab. Awesome. Thank you so much. Stay healthy, Thanks. stay safe. Have you a too. great day. Take care. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.